Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our teaching pastor, E.M. Simpkins, as we continue our series, Our House. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Oh, it is good to be with you this morning. As Ted mentioned, we're smack dab in the middle of the series called Our House, exploring the most important relationships in our life. We've been kind of taking a tour through the house with different rooms representing those different important relationships. Our first week, we talked about setting healthy boundaries by way of the front door. Last week, we talked about the kids' room, whether or not we have kids of our own, how do we actually care for and love the kids, the next generation. And today, you guessed it, We're talking about the bedroom. We're talking about the most intimate relationships in our lives. Now, I know that the the bedroom is incredibly complex. In fact, I I think we could probably speak on this for the next six months and and still really only scratch the surface. So today, we, we just wanna talk about one major part of the bedroom. It's a part that for a lot of us has been a source of great pain, great sorrow, great heartache. We, of course, today are talking about the TV remote control. That's right. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We're actually talking about the thing that probably all of you have been thinking about since you heard us first say the word bedroom. Today, we're talking about sex and not in a salt and pepper kind of way. Aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) That's a topic that I, I think historically... The church has not talked enough about. In fact, even in my own life, when I was about 12 or 13, I remember my father, whom I love, kind of walked in my room. He like threw a book in there and said, hey man, uh, good luck, and walked away. (laughs) And historically, kind of the church's position, particularly to young people in the conversation about sex, is sort of this. Uh, Don't. Which as a young person, I was like, super helpful. Thanks, thanks for that. In fact, some churches, their sort of central message is something like this. Um, sex is dirty and gross, so save it for the one that you love. Mm. Uh, okay. Now, I know that for a lot of us in this room, um, this, this topic is a source of, of great joy and, and happiness and fulfillment but I also know that for a lot of us, that's not the case. It's, it's a topic that brings out great pain, great fear, great brokenness. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you feel like, like you've just hit a wall and you can't go on. Maybe, maybe you really felt that someone would be by your side to the end and, and now you feel kind of just lost and broken. Maybe your prayer was that this person wouldn't let you down, but they did.
down for many of us the cry of our heart when we look at the person that we love the most and we say please don't let me down I think being truly intimate is one of the most if not the most vulnerable place we can put our heart and I think God designed it that way and that's exactly what we wanna talk about this morning. So I, I wanna start with this truth, and the truth is this. <clears throat> God loves sex. Can I get an amen, please? <laughs> you didn't expect me to go that way, did you? That's, uh, am I gonna have a hard time keeping anyone's attention this morning? God not only loves sex, he created it. In fact, why, why don't we give them a little, a little privacy over here for this talk? That's all. take care of that. There we go, perfect. <clears throat> Now, it's a common misconception that God is opposed to sex and sexual pleasure, but I don't think that could be any further from the truth. In fact, at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, 
we have an account where Adam, when he sees his wife Eve for the first time, and we all know first impressions count, his response is to sing to her. And keep in mind, they're both totally naked. So at the very beginning of our Bible, you have a naked man who sees a naked woman for the first time, and his response is, I'm going to sing to her, right? (laughs) And all of this is done in the presence of God. Like God didn't catch them like behind a tree or under a bush somewhere. This is all in the presence of the God who created them. A few books later, we come to a book called Song of Songs. And if I were to read that thing cover to cover right now, like the unrated version, everyone in here would blush. That's why we have the lights down low right now. Like, it is not kid-friendly. And in Song of Songs, it it tells of this sort of intimate exchange, this sort of um, romantic dance between two different characters, a man and a woman. The man uh, is identified as Solomon, and the woman is identified as the Shulamite. To which I'm sure you're thinking, uh, great, thanks for that super helpful bit of Bible trivia. Here's what's really fascinating, is that uh, Solomon and Shulamite both find their root in this Hebrew word shalom. And we've used the word shalom here before. Shalom isn't just a greeting, and it doesn't even simply mean peace. It's this really complex, enigmatic Hebrew word that means wholeness, fullness, and harmony. So this, this dance, this exchange between this man and woman who both find their names in this word shalom, where they both know and are fully known. And, and I think that's God's vision for sex. For, for us to be in the kind of relationship that is always driving more and more toward shalom. Because anyone can have sex but not everyone experiences true intimacy. Are you tracking? One is easily attainable, the other not quite as much. So I want to address something right up front, though, because I think our our culture often says that we need sex to be whole, and I I just don't think that's true. Um, First off, it completely disregards the person of Jesus who wasn't as single and celibate, and he's the most human, the most whole human that ever lived. So so before we go any further, I just want to make this really clear. Um, God is the one who makes us whole. God alone is the one who makes us complete. But God's vision, his, his dream for sex is that it would contribute to our wholeness. And yet... I mean, I'm not, I'm not naive. I know there's a room this size. That's not been the case for a lot of us. Sex hasn't contributed to wholeness or harmony or fulfillment. It's, it's led to fear and anxiety and doubt and brokenness. So, so as we walk into the bedroom, let's, let's see what God's word has to say about this. One of the most famous passages in all the scripture, uh, again, comes from Genesis, and it says this. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You've probably heard some verse like that read at a wedding at some point in your past. Some of you, maybe you even know the King James Version. It reads this, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
Now, cleave is not really a word that we use all that often in general conversation anymore, and it can feel a bit clunky, but here's essentially what cleave means. It means to be glued to something. So this picture that we're given in Genesis is not, and then they lived at the same address, or they shared a bank account. They had some similar hobbies. This idea of, of cleave is like that picture of like gluing two pieces of construction paper together. It's not just physical, it's deeply spiritual as well. It means to unite someone through a binding promise or an oath. We would use the word covenant. He's describing a covenant. So a healthy, growing, intimate relationship happens inside the context of a covenant relationship. Now, don't miss this because covenant is another one of those words that we, we don't, it doesn't usually show up you know, at coffee shops around the dinner table. A covenant is a promise to be faithful and loyal regardless of how I feel in the moment, in the good and the bad. A covenantal relationship isn't based on how I feel or what I get out of the relationship, but where I adjust to the other person based on the promises that I've made to them. Actually, uh, it makes me think of my own wedding day, and I have to really think back to that time. Just, okay, for those of you who don't know, it was was less than a year ago. Um, And this is one of my favorite pictures from that day, and oh my, how beautiful is my wife, by the way. I, she's the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen, and I love this picture because this was just a few short moments um, after we had exchanged our vows to one another. Um, we had committed to a whole lot of things, and I, I got to be really honest, it's not even been a year yet, and I've forgotten what a lot of those things were that we said, mostly because I looked more like this most of the day. What a crybaby. <laughs> Pull it together, Simpkins. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'll be really straight with you. Um, we, we've had some bumps in the road. We've had some difficulty. There have been days where it was hard to choose to love one another at times. When I go back through those vows, though, and and you, you know the classic ones, right? To love and to cherish, to have and to hold in sickness and in what? Health. Till death do us part. That's covenantal language. Which sounds so different from what we typically hear in the culture, isn't it? Most of what we see in the culture is what I would call a consumerist relationship. In a consumerist relationship, I stay in it as long as it's good for me or meets my needs. Like, I mean, think about how we consume just in general, right? If you go to a store or you buy something online... If, if you find like a better product or a better deal next week, there's like no, no loyalty to that. I'm getting this one. I'm getting the, the better deal, the, the better product, which, which in shopping is, is fine, obviously. But when it starts to creep into our relationships, though, it can really create some problems. And I think, we, I mean, we're all friends here, right? We, we can be blunt that when we first started dating, there, there was a little bit of salesmanship going on, wasn't there? Like trying really desperately to put your best foot forward. I mean, that's guilty for me. Like for the men in the room, maybe maybe you showered for the first time in a couple of weeks. 
maybe you discovered what dry cleaning was. Maybe you bought a bouquet of flowers and not like the cheap $7.99, but like the $14.99 from Jewel, like the real, the real deal. You held every door open. Ladies, you did the same thing. I'm assuming, I don't understand. I don't know, I don't know how that works. <laughs> when we're dating, we're, we're, we're really, we're, we're kind of marketing ourselves, right? The subtext is I'm worth it. Th- this is gonna work. This is a good idea. But when, the, when a consumerist mindset starts to bleed into our most intimate relationships, our most long-term relationships. We can very easily become exploiters of people. We can start to think, well, if that person doesn't adjust to what I need, then I'm out. I'll find someone or, or something new. But in a covenant relationship, my ever-changing needs aren't the highest priority. The promise I made is the priority. Because my needs are gonna change. My emotions are gonna change. And when both people in a covenant relationship prioritize the promise ahead of our emotions, a couple of really beautiful things happen. The first is this. um, Both people feel safe. Both people feel safe to be fully who they are to like wear sweatpants now and again, right? To let the hair down, wipe the makeup off, to just be fully who you are. You're not marketing yourself so the other person won't leave. You, you can know and fully know the, the, the actual person beneath all the layers of attempts. It also gives you freedom. And that, that may surprise you because I think in a lot of context, a, a, the idea of a covenantal relationship doesn't sound freeing Sounds really, really binding. But, but think about this, though. If you're making all of your decisions in your relationships based on how you're feeling in the moment, uh, you're a slave to your emotions. If, if how you're feeling on any given day or season is calling the shots in your relationships, you're not in control. Your emotions are. You're, you're a puppet on a string. And I think we can all, we can all level, right, that, like, there's a trillion different factors that affect our emotions, right? There's our, our biology, our sociology, our family history, or the weather, or that frozen burrito I had last night. There's a bunch of different factors. But in a covenantal relationship, it means we often tell our emotions to take a back seat in order to prioritize the promise, the vow that we have made. So you might be wondering, okay, so what does this have to do with sex? I would argue that it has everything to do with sex. Because God's view of sex and sexuality is not a consumeristic one, it's a covenantal one. Where where intimacy isn't a transaction, becomes this sacred act that leads closer and closer to shalom. When sex and intimacy is just a transaction, we end up using someone else to meet our needs. There's a, a pastor and an author out in New York named Tim Keller, and here's what he says. He says, sex outside of marriage lacks integrity. I mean, that feels, that feels heavy, right? He says it lacks integrity. You are asking someone to do something with their body 
that you are not asking them to do with their whole life, with their whole self. And in fact, Jesus addresses this consumeristic approach to sex in Matthew chapter five. And here's what he says. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. This was a common Jewish law. This is something that the audience would have likely already known and understood. But as Jesus often does, he goes a step further. He says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this word that Jesus uses for lust here actually has a much stronger economic connotation than a sexual one. What he's doing here is brilliant. He's equating lust to greed. And many of us know that greed is not based on the amount of money, but our view of money. I've known very, very wealthy, greedy people, and I've known very, very poor, greedy people, and everything in between. Greedy people desire money for Selfish reasons can become addicting. I have to have it. I have to have more. And when greedy people can't get money fast enough, they start to look for shortcuts. Jesus here is saying that we do the same thing with sex. Our hearts are inclined to do the same thing with sex. When I'm driven by lust, sex becomes all about who? It's all about me. Lust can make sex addictive. And when we don't get it fast enough or often enough, we can begin to look for shortcuts. And, and I don't know that there's anywhere in the world that this is more clear and obvious than in the world of pornography. And the statistics are staggering. Did, did you know that one in five mobile searches are searches for pornography? One in five. The average exposure to pornography for a male in the continental US on average is 12 years old. 56% of divorce cases listed as one of the chief reasons for the divorce as one or both partners finding some obsessive behavior involving pornography. And the list goes on. It's so humbling. Now, I'm, I'm not sharing any of these things to, to shame or condemn anyone. Please hear me in that. But I, I want us to see that our, our culture views sexuality very differently than God does. Our, our culture often says live in the moment, right? Live for the moment. If it feels good, go for it. What culture doesn't tell you is that moments become memories that can often haunt us, can't they? Moments become memories that can often haunt us for a very long time. It makes me think of, uh, have you seen those those commercials for some kind of prescription medication where like the first 10 seconds is telling you like what this medication does and the next like minute and a half is telling you all the side effects, right? Like the first 10 seconds you're like, take this pill and your eyes will be like a little bit more blue. And then start scrolling through that long list of side effects. You're like, may cause bleeding or death or a third arm to go out of your chest or your leg to fall off. And you're like, okay, I'm good with the color of my eyes right now. That's often the way that culture speaks of sexuality. It, It tells you, that top 10 seconds. It doesn't speak honestly, though, of what comes after. So, so what, do we, what do we do? Right? How, how do we actually move into deeper intimacy? For those of us 
I found that song to be really true. For those of us who are crying out, don't let me down, that we're chasing after things that we, we know will not really bring us fullness and identity and peace. What, what do we do? Well, first and foremost, we need to commit to covenant. We need to, we need to commit to covenant. Don't settle for anything less than God's best for you. If you're here and you're married, take an honest look in your marriage and assess where this consumeristic idea may have started to creep in. Where you've perhaps started to say, even just to yourself, well, well, if she doesn't do that, then I'm not gonna do this. If, she, if she's not gonna hold up her end of the bargain, then, then I'm not gonna hold up my end of the bargain. I'll, I'll follow through as soon as my needs are met. And if you're, if you're single and you desire to be in a relationship, I beseech you, don't settle for less than God's best for you. Don't settle for anything less than covenant. You, you are so worth it. Ladies, a late night hookup is not intimacy. Gentlemen, that website, that magazine, it, it's not intimacy. Those, those things don't actually lead us anywhere closer to shalom. And I know that like some of you are hearing me and you're thinking, yeah, but he looks good. Give him 20 years. <laughs> Maybe 10, right? And the thing that we often miss in, in church culture is we're not just talking about virginity. In, in many contexts, we, we've sort of elevated virginity and that can kind of become the idol that we seek, right? If, if you're unmarried, what we're talking about is not just virginity, we're talking about purity, living a pure life here and now. Being single is not waiting, it's living. Don't, don't put off the business of putting to death sin in your life. I would, I would put it this way. Purity now paves the way to intimacy later. Purity now paves the way to intimacy later. And, and I get that it's difficult. And, and there's so many different perspectives and opinions coming your way. But no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can still live a different story. One of, of shalom and fullness. In fact, I wanna introduce you to a couple that chose to do just that. Here's Kate and Bill's story. My name is Kate Giggy, and I've been coming to community for my entire life. And this is my husband, Bill, and he has been coming to community for the last four years. We first met at the new teacher orientation. We both work in the same school district, and we actually ran into each other in downtown Naperville one afternoon, and uh, we started talking from there. A couple weeks later, he asked me out to dinner. I suggested that we go on a run first, so we actually went on a run first. Actually, I offered that run because I was trying to um, act like I was into fitness as much as she was at the time. Later that night at dinner, I told her that I wasn't much of a runner. <laughs> she knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, we'd been dating for maybe a year or so. Both of our leases were up at the same time. And so from our perspective, we were kind of like, well, 
the timing works out, might as well move in together. I grew up in the church, but I didn't go all throughout college. We really didn't have God in our minds, in our relationship. When it came to intimacy, physically in a relationship, it wasn't even on the radar. I started coming here when Kate invited me to come here, uh, after we had dated for a few months, um, and I fell in love with the church right away. We joined a young adult co-ed small group and both started going to that. As we started attending small groups, I started to feel my faith grow stronger. As my faith grew stronger, I decided to get baptized that community. Going public with my faith was something that I hadn't done before, so I feel like it was a big step, not only for me, but for Kate and I. When we did decide to move in together, something I felt something was wrong, kind of pretty soon into it because we didn't want to tell our small group and that was a red flag for me because I knew that they would be disappointed in us. So three months before we got engaged, Kate had brought it up to me that she's just having this feeling that we need to stop being physical and not have sex. It's something that I struggled with, but um, eventually I just, you know, yeah, you're right. I don't think that we should be doing that anymore. That is something that we kind of put a hard line in the sand and we said no to. Amongst other things that go along with that territory, we kind of just said, we're gonna kiss and that is it. And we were very strict on that. Um, and we were living together at that time. A couple months after that is when we felt the conviction where I should then move out. And that was the next step that we took because that's really what God's design is for a relationship. Moving forward in our relationship, it continued to bring us closer. Um, and I, I felt like our, our faith stayed strong through it as well. On our wedding day, I think because we made this decision and we had made this covenant with each other and God was included in that and God was really the driving force behind that, I felt so confident and so certain in my decision. So we've been married for a year and a half now and God has blessed us in many ways since that time. Um, we're expecting our first child in June, so that's pretty exciting. The, you know, the last year and a half, we've had some hard times fall in our families, um, and we have been able to be there for each other. That was like the, the foundation for us that, that we've created a relationship with God. Because I've gotten a lot of different things wrong in my life, but in, in that one instance, I felt like I got one thing right. I really love those two. I really love their, their vulnerability and honesty. I mean, that's just one of many stories that's happening in our young adult community, and it's really, really beautiful to see God at work. Um, just two more thoughts before we wrap up here. The, the first is this. We need to fight for freedom. We need to fight for freedom. I think way, way too many of us have become enslaved to lust. We... We long for intimacy, but we've, we've settled maybe for a while um, for some pretty cheap counterfeit. The Apostle Paul puts it pretty bluntly, actually. Here's, here's what he says. What's that first word? Flee from sexual immorality. He says, don't, don't saunter away from it. Don't meander away from it. He says, when, when you see that in your own heart, in your own relationships, run from it. Turn the other way and run. We, we need to know our triggers. We need to know that website, those areas, and run for them. Stop falling for counterfeits. Fight for freedom. The second is this, and ask for accountability. This one probably doesn't surprise you, but it, it's, it's not a fair fight out there. We can't go it alone. Find someone 
that you love, but that you also trust, that you can count on. Maybe someone in your small group, maybe join a support group, ask a mentor, whatever it is, don't go this battle alone. And I, I know that a lot of this feels maybe not only counter-cultural, but also counterintuitive, and yet it affects us in every single way. And here's what's ultimately true. In, in our pursuit to find identity and wholeness and meaning, God is the only one who can accomplish that. And when we put the weight of God on anything other than God, it will eventually crumble beneath the weight. But when we can lean more fully into the promises of God, that enables us to make these kinds of promises to the people that we love. So I'd like to close by praying for all of us. I desperately think that we, we all need God's help and we all need each other. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for three people groups. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes wherever you're at now. Pray with me. First, I wanna, wanna pray for the men. Father, we pray for men. You've given us desires for intimacy, physical intimacy, relational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and yet we live in a world that's taken what you design and twisted it. So God, protect these men. Put other men in our lives that can hold us accountable to be the men that you created us to be. Father, for the married men, give them eyes only for their bride, for the love of their life, to love them like you love the church. For single men, I'll give them the courage to pursue purity. And if and when they date, to date in a way that's honoring to you. Secondly, I wanna pray for the women. God, our, our culture puts pressures and expectations on women that are not from you. We pray that each woman here would increasingly become the woman you designed her to be. God, where there are temptations, provide an escape. Where there are pains and hurts from the past, bring your healing. For the women who are married, give them what they need to love their husbands like they never knew they could. For the single women, God, help them to honor you with the gift of their entire lives. And lastly, I wanna pray for the next generation. God, we don't have to have children of our own to know the challenges that lie ahead for our kids. And so we ask that you protect our children. God, there are so many ways that sex can be distorted and twisted. And so God, we ask that you help us to help them. Help us to look out for them, to love them, to pray for them and to set an example for them so that they can live in your wholeness, completeness, and shalom. For all of us, Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.